you're like, wait, what are we talking about today? Oh, right, free yeah. hour lecture, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh crap, where are my where are my slides? <laughs> Welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. Today's topic is going to be about work-life balance. So how do you manage the uh, your daily work, right? You're going to go in every day, probably at least 40 hours a week, and then you have the rest of your time in theory to yourself. Um, that in theory. To, it, that seems to be increasingly not true, but um, how do you c- try and enforce some maybe general rules for your own life about how to make sure that that doesn't get overly invaded and you can still, you know, have some fun, whether that be going to the park or um, even maybe working on your own software projects just because you are not uh, doing work that is, you know, for someone else doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily uh, build things for yourself if that's something that you just enjoy doing. Um, so maybe the first thing we should talk about is, is this even possible, right? Is it even, is it a thing? Can we have a work-life balance in sort of today's economy? I think it is possible. I think you have to take steps to make sure that you have it. Certainly there are workplaces that routinely call people in on the weekends and have an expectation that people are going to be staying late, at least for different parts of the development cycle. And if you're in one of those places, I, I don't know that there's a great answer besides try to get out because once that culture has been established, as, as far as I can tell, it's very difficult to change it. Right. Culture is probably one of the hardest things to change in a company, in particular, if you're not the one that kind of has the power to just sort of make a decree, <laughs> make it change. And even in that case, it's it's not really very doable. Culture is, is more of a an organic thing that just kind of gets created among all the people. So if it's if it's bad, like Brian just said, if it's a, more of a toxic culture, then especially as one person, good luck trying to change that. I think that's probably something that's worth an episode to itself is talking about culture in software development and and what effect a person can have on it. But for now, just staying to the topic at hand, I think it's difficult to know in advance what the work-life balance is if you just stick to the formal interview process. Because by now, I think most people have learned that having that on offer is something that people want to hear. And it's something that people will routinely say in my experience is, oh yeah, we believe strongly in a work-life balance is the interview pitch. And then in the development shop itself, things can go a few different ways. And because culture is something that you have to experience in order to be able to fully understand, you're not going to be able to get a sense, a true sense of the culture of the company you're interviewing for in the interview, right? Because they're going to be probably, at least if they're doing what you know, they're doing their job, basically, they're going to be presenting to you the best possible situation, right? The best possible um, experience at that office. So that is not necessarily indicative of the day-to-day type of more grind that you might see once you get in there and you work there. So having that, um, you know, going in and seeing the thing and seeing their break room and seeing how they play foosball and seeing how they are, you know, really concerned about making sure that you take breaks and stuff like that, that may or may not actually be real when you actually get in there and you do the work. So you, you can't use the interview itself as as evidence of that. I think you cannot use the information that people are going to tend to volunteer, but at the same time, while you're interviewing, if you're interviewing with a wide enough spectrum of people, I think that you can do things to draw that kind of information out. 
and ask questions as you should be doing during the interview, like what are your most and least favorite parts about working here? And if a couple of people say, well, there are a lot of Saturdays that I spend in the office, then you know something. If um, people talk about, I do feel really burned out sometimes, um, you can ask people questions like, where's the last place you went on vacation without getting into, you know, do I get three or four weeks of vacation or does everyone take advantage of the full time off policy or anything like that? Try to kind of gently elicit the information instead of demanding it outright. And I think people are, are willing to open up if they don't sort of feel like they're being interrogated. Yeah, you can ask, you want to ask very like I think what you're saying is ask very open-ended questions, right? Don't ask specifically how many weeks of vacation do I get? But like you said saying, where did you go last on vacation? If they said, mm-hmm. "Oh, that was probably 2 or 3 years ago I went for a week," right? That's right there. That either tells right. you that at a bare minimum that person feels like that they either can't or don't want to or whatever take vacations frequently. Um, or that the company is doing things to discourage people from going on vacation. So Right. And the discouragement can come in sort of non-obvious ways, like maybe having an unlimited vacation policy, which is another thing that companies have figured out. People like to hear those words, but that doesn't mean that people are willing or feel able to take advantage of it in any significant way. And that can be a great follow-up question. As soon as someone says during the interview, we have an unlimited vacation policy, you can come right back with, oh, how have you taken advantage of that recently? Yeah, that's perfect. And if the answer to that is, I've, I've never not been here. <laughs> I'm here every day. <laughs> I'm yeah, here that's, every That's not good. Right. We, so something that I, I found to be really interesting with that in particular is if, you know, while on the topic of work-life balance, if you are interviewing and you hear that kind of thing, um, what you can sometimes follow up with is something like that, right? Uh, an open-ended question to say, to kind of get a, a flavor for how is this being actually used by the staff of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else you can ask that's a little bit more of a technical question is, do you have a minimum? So with work with mm. unlimited vacation policies, that sounds amazing, right? Like I can just take as much time as I want, but... Uh, the problem is if you have it unlimited, if it's unbounded, te- people tend to think, oh, well, if I take too much, people are going to judge me for that. Either my peers or my boss or the owner or whatever are going to judge me for taking too much time. And because right. it's unlimited, I don't know how much too much time is. So that number kind of tends to dwindle in your head where you're like, well, maybe maybe two weeks. Well, maybe it's too long. Maybe maybe one week. And then, well, yeah. maybe four days. Right. And so you'll just have a long lunch. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'll just have a long lunch. Exactly. And and then what ends up happening is you just end up living at the office, right? Yeah. Um, and so what a, a company can do to kind of counteract that is say, well, we have a limited vacation policy because we understand things happen and you need to be able to reset and recharge. But we're going to tell you that, that you have to take at least, let's say, two weeks every year mm-hmm. as a minimum. Um, and basically, if you don't do it, we're going to be like, listen, you, you, need to, <laughs> you need to go on vacation. You need to go have some fun. It's fine. Things will be fine. Um, and so that's a, a good way to kind of add. To me, a lot of companies are going to say probably no, we don't have a minimum. Um, mm-hmm. But even that is a way to kind of start a start a discussion with them about yeah. work life balance, right? Like you're not just accepting what they're offering; you are considering it, and you're saying, "Oh, that's an interesting thing." Have you thought about maybe the downsides of unlimited, and 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 thought maybe we could add a minimum and that might help to encourage people to actually utilize it. And so if nothing else, what that does is it makes it clear to them that you are interested in a a work-life balance. You're, you're consciously talking, you know, thinking about these things. And 
related questions I think that you can ask during the interview are stuff like, what is turnover like among the engineering staff? Uh, how many people have been here from the beginning? What's the range of experience on this project? And things like that can give you an idea of uh, are people sort of lifers, which has its own pros and cons, but it does at least suggest people are comfortable in that environment, the people who are staying around? Or is it a company that's 10 or 15 years old and yet somehow no one has been working on this project for more than 18 months? Well, what happened to the last bunch of people? And related to that, you might ask, you know, what is your, how has your hiring been for this team in, you know, in the past? And they might say, oh, well, we're, you know, we're doing lots of, they might even volunteer, we're doing lots of hiring for this group or whatever. And so another way that you could phrase it is you could say, okay, how many of those roles are, have, are people that you've replaced versus how many of these are new roles, right? So that, that also helps you understand, oh, are they growing? Are they Mm -hmm. adding capacity to this? Because the, the, that's a very different feel than just getting rid of the old. Right. Whereas if the team is 10 people and it's always been 10 people, but they, but for some reason they've had, it's not the same 10 people. They've had 24 people in those roles. Like (laughs) what? That's, that's weird. Um, So that's another, we don't want to give the sense or at least I don't, and I'm sure Ben agrees that uh, companies are universally just lying to people and trying to bring them in with these false promises that they know are false. For both of us, the best job we ever had was at the Iron Yard, and that was a company that made promises initially of very generous vacation policies. We were an an in-person boot camp where classes were scheduled to run for 12 weeks, and the, the announced schedule was you'd have 12 weeks of teaching and then four weeks off, and then the next class would start. And that sounded terrific. It sounded like uh, something close to a traditional academic calendar where you had these long periods where you could go on a mini sabbatical and you could study different things or you could just rest. It was kind of surprising, I think, to both of us how tiring the the uh, instruction part of that was. And what we found out pretty quickly and what I think the company found out at the same time we did was there was just other stuff that had to be done and couldn't be done while we were teaching. And therefore, it had to be done in what was initially promised as the vacation time. Yeah, as actual time off, not as like, you know, they they eventually kind of amended that to be I think they started calling it like light duty, uh, meaning that you, you know, you're not going to be coming in necessarily every single day doing that very vigorous, you know, and very intellectually demanding work Mm -hmm. of teaching. So that's good. The the mental load is lower, um, but uh, you're still probably going to need to come in at least a few times a week and, you know, for most of the day and you'll have meetings and you'll have interviews with new students and you'll have this and that and various other things. Um, And so that four weeks became probably more about, I don't know, I would say towards the end we got maybe maybe half of that time is actual. We're not coming in. It's legit time off. Um, and the other part of it was, like I said, you know, coming in at least for part of the day and doing interviews and meetings and stuff like that. And there again, I I want to reiterate that I'm sure that the leadership of the company didn't intend to um, make false representation to people. They thought that was the schedule they could offer. And I think for the the first handful of campuses and instructors, they were able to offer that. And over time, it just proved to be unsustainable. And that's just how it was. And they were pretty forthcoming about about explaining, listen, we this is not what we originally thought. We're going to have to modify this situation and here's the reasons why and mm-hmm. I, and and I think for me what it, what made all the difference and what makes me consider that to be probably my favorite job is because 
the company isn't trying to sell me a bunch of lines, right? They right. it wasn't like, oh, well, we made a mistake, but we can't admit that, so we're gonna then give you all these all these other reasons that don't really necessarily mean anything and are and don't make any sense um, mm-hmm. if you if you think about them for a minute. Uh, and so it's just about really for me, it's about approach. It's more about approach than it is about maybe necessarily what actually transpired. And so for me, with work life balance, I think it's the same thing. It's 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 really attitude more than it is maybe the individual policy um so if so for me the the company that i work for um they need to just have the right attitude around not working the people to death right like we don't need i don't need i'm not looking for any particular one policy that will oh well if this policy exists at this company i'm going to be perfectly happy work-life balance wise it's not really about that. So it's not really about necessarily unlimited vacation or any other individual thing. It's about how do you as a company approach the prospect of, of having your people work for you and do accomplish things. And then how do you approach giving them time to do other things or to, you know, maybe in the case of going on vacation, literally leave, right? Mm-hmm. Leave, leave the job, leave the state perhaps, right? Go away, not be in contact allow that person to do other things and be unrelated to the work so they can, you know, relax, rest, recharge, all those things. So it's really, I think, more about approach than it is necessarily about any individual policy. Yeah, because individual policies can be interpreted in a lot of different ways depending on how people really feel. About and they them. can change, just like yeah. we were with the Ironer one, right? We right. just talked about how it was effectively a policy, and then that policy you know, was modified over the couple of years we were there, and that's fine. I mean— Things change, and yeah, and and it's startup life, right? We were working for a company that was very small, and you know, you make if you've ever worked for a startup, you know that the assumptions that you make in the beginning usually don't, don't necessarily hold up over time. They you have to modify them because the the news, you know, the information on the ground changes, and you have to kind of adapt to that. Uh, so, how would we, um, how would we maybe differentiate? here between you know i think as a software dev maybe we're a little bit different than other industries in that probably if you're a software dev in addition to going and doing it kind of nine to five for a job you might also be interested in doing that kind of thing perhaps as a hobby or just tinkering around with different things you've you know you're making you bought an arduino and you're trying to figure out how to make a door lock out of it or whatever right you're just sort of tinkering around with different things um so how would we perhaps give the listeners a um a way to differentiate between i feel like i'm being worked to death right versus i just enjoy building software but i want to make sure that there's a clear demarcation between software i do for work and software that i do for myself yeah i think that's something that uh, really places software developers uh, apart from anyone else in what you might call a white collar uh, industry and closer to an artist or, or craftsman kind of a position. You know, nobody who's a, a lawyer full-time says, geez, I wish I had more time to sue people on my own behalf. Um, I just love doesn't... doing paperwork on a Saturday night. Right. <laughs> There's no accountant who says, geez, I, I wish I had more time for my own you know, schedule 1084 dash. I don't even know how to make up accounting stuff. But uh, for a lot of software people, and I include myself in this, and I'm probably Ben also, uh, a lot of our free time is really time that we get to work on our own projects. And I think that is an, uh, that doesn't contradict the idea of having a work-life balance if you spend a lot of your own time working on your own stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think 
it's really about maybe it's really about autonomy, right? It's about how are you choosing to spend your time? So if you want to spend your time in the park, right, on a Saturday afternoon, then that's fine. And if you would rather be at home, you know, at your computer desk and you're building maybe a mobile app or something that you think is cool that you just want to exist in the world, then that's also fine. And it's all about how you are choosing to define your own free time. So maybe the for me, the difference is if my boss, right, they don't do this where I work. They, it's a very healthy, I work and I go home and I have, you know, I do other things when I'm not at work. But uh, if I were in a situation where, um, my boss was calling me on Saturday afternoon saying, listen, we really need you to come in tomorrow because we have this whatever we got to get done. It's possible that I would have spent maybe a decent portion of that Sunday working on code anyway. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that the code that I work on for myself is something that enriches me, right? And I don't mean necessarily monetarily. I mean, like, enriches my interest and in whatever. Um, whereas it definitely feels like when you're going, <laughs> particularly on a Sunday, to work that you're just kind of being taken advantage of. So I guess it's just a matter of perception, but um, for me, it's all about, you know, who, who's the one deciding what software yes. you work on. Yes. And we talked about it a little bit before we started recording and the word autonomy came up as I, I think a real differentiator between uh, the software that we write for ourselves because we want to versus the stuff that people have to pay us to write. Right. Yeah, so I think when you're when you're thinking about this and you're trying to maybe square it in your own head about work-life balance and what's appropriate and stuff, you don't need to. It doesn't need to be demarcated by type of work, right? So if a type of work means software dev, it doesn't have to mean that just because you work all day at a job doing software dev that you can't come home and on the weekend tinker around with stuff and and think, oh well, I'm just I'm a slave to my job, right? I'm never I never get away from it. It's all about do you want to do those things? Right. If you don't want to be coding, then go outside, right? Do something. Right. Stop. Do it's something a nice else. Day. It's a nice day. But, um, but if you, if you like it and you're getting, if you're getting, you know, enrichment out of it, right. You are furthering your skill set, or you are just um, having a good time, just having a good time. Or you think it might be something that might be worth some money. I mean, for whatever reason that you want to do it. And in particular, since this is a, um, a podcast devoted, you know, not necessarily exclusively for, but targeted towards people who are getting into tech and trying to learn how to, be a developer, there is definitely value in just, you know, playing around. There's kind of this old adage mm-hmm. that that play for children is very important because it gives them all kinds of things, motors, fine motor skills and social interaction and all kinds of stuff. And I think the same thing is true really when you're trying to learn any sort of sufficiently complicated thing, um, right. that the more practice, you know, the, you get, the, the more perfect you become at it. Um, and so if on the weekend you want to crack open a tutorial book and you want to tackle some iOS stuff or you want to build something in Ruby or you want to whatever, whatever it is that it is your flavor of development that you want to do and, you, and you, you're getting something out of it, whether that be just joy or, you know, skill acquisition or whatever, um, nothing wrong with that as long as you are choosing to do that. And that raises the question then, if there's nothing categorically wrong with having software development as a hobby, and we at the same time want to maintain a work-life balance, what are some signs that things are getting out of balance? Yeah, so I think that would be very very easy to fall into, right? You might end up in a situation where you are, maybe you have a full-time job, you have a 40-hour-a-week job, and then you also, like I said, you're tinkering, you're maybe doing some tutorials, stuff like that. Um, I think probably if uh, maybe the first sign would be if your social circle mentions 
things about you not being available ever because you're always in front of the computer. That could be perhaps a first sign that something is, is amiss because you're... The sign previous to that, have a social circle. Well, yes, that would be the first the first step. But, um, you know, even if you are not a very social person, um, you probably do have a few people, I would imagine, that um, are, you know, interested in seeing you occasionally. So if, if you are in a scenario where you're getting, you know... Um, people telling you that, that they never see you, that could be potentially a sign that something is, is amiss. I think it's all a matter of what it is you're trying to do and whether and whether you feel burdened by all of that work. And I think you can get some early warning signs of burnout. And I'm not sure whether those tend to crop up first in the paying job, which is, after all, paying the bills. And so something that you are probably going to continue doing, even if you're not especially thrilled about it on a particular day, or if you're going to feel like maybe software development as a hobby is just too much of the same and it starts to feel overwhelming or distasteful. Uh, have you had periods in your career where you've felt that sort of burnout, Ben? I I have. Certainly it's been, I would say, I guess if I think about it and I try and think of when exactly that occurred, I would say that it is likely to have been less on the hobby part and more on the job part in the sense that that the the burnout that i felt was not really um i don't want to be a dev anymore right that people mm -hmm. that happens to people people does, decide yeah. i this is just not for me anymore i'm tired of it i don't feel that way but i have felt in the past where i don't think this role that i'm f that i'm filling here professionally my, professionally yeah is is going to work for me anymore because and it's usually it doesn't usually have anything to do with necessarily the well, not just true. I was gonna say it doesn't have to do with the actual dev itself, but sometimes it's the case where maybe the stuff that I'm working on is no longer interesting, right? It becomes I am not. I would consider myself to be mostly a greenfield developer. I'm not much of a maintenance developer, mm. um, and I and I, I can do it, and it's fine. But um, I prefer basically well, when I say greenfield to to cut out the jargon. I mean basically new projects that start from scratch. So open S code, new project we're starting completely from scratch and we're building something that's new. Maybe it's based on something that already exists, but it's, it's a new block of code essentially. Versus a maintenance engineer would be someone who's coming into a, a large established project and updating it or making changes to it, but sort of closer to editing than to writing, for example. Yes. Yes. Editing is actually, that's a really good analogy, closer to editing than writing. And you're going to be sort of fixing bugs and then the new feature work is going to be probably more fewer and farther between. Um, you're not going to be doing a lot of new feature stuff. So uh, probably most of the time when it when it comes down to me getting burnt out, it's usually when the either the culture, like we were talking about before, becomes, let's just say, you know, disagreeable <laughs> with, with how I want to live my life, right? Um, or the work becomes either stale or just no longer providing i think a significant challenge to you know furthering my skill set i'm definitely certainly you know if you've heard me over the last three episodes i'm a lifelong learner um so and i really i really enjoy learning so if i if i feel like i'm not in that place anymore then that's probably where i most would experience like a mm, this might be, we might be done here. I need to move on to something else. And do you feel like you can keep your enthusiasm for your own stuff, even while you're getting that burnout feeling in the nine to five world? 
it's definitely much harder if you if you yeah. look at the commit history. Of my products, <laughs> they, they definitely, as you know, if I if I work at a company or a job, yes. and I kind of uh, become discouraged with that effort, it is definitely the case that um, you know I'm not going to be as enthused to come home and then work on, even though it's my own thing and whatever. Uh, it's essentially the same kind of work. Yes. And if you just GitHub diagnostics can tell a tell there. Yeah, and if you feel kind of gross about it at work, then you're just not probably going to be feeling that great about doing it at home either. Um, so it, it, it's definitely true that it can bleed in, which maybe is another thing that, that we could mention here with work-life balance is that not only is work-life balance a matter of making sure that your work doesn't overly invade your life so that you can have other interests, um, but it's also the case that a bad work environment can infect your life in other ways sure. that are not, not just a not just they're not just grabbing your time they're not just taking a hold of your your free time they are That's also affecting the psychology of how you approach your free time so like he was just like brian was just saying right i come home after maybe not a great job um and then i'm not super enthused to jump on my computer and start coding away building an ios app for myself because i feel down about that so it can it can in addition to to stealing your time, it can also kind of steal your enthusiasm as well, which is not a great thing because it can lead to eventually you can decide that it's not just a matter of I don't like this job, this one job at this one company anymore. It can you, it can lead you to thinking I don't want to be a developer at all. It can sour you for the entire yeah. thing, and that may or may not be <laughs> a good thing and for that can you. Be tragic, yeah. yeah, it can be very tragic because if you don't really have anything else necessarily that you can provide of significant value to the market, then you are, it's a problem. You're going to have to figure out a way to change careers into a different one to, to do something else. There's that. And also because generally people who work in development really, really like it. At least they start out that way. And I feel very sad when I hear someone has lost a love for something, whether that's software development or something else. So I, I view burnout as a tragedy for that reason. One thing that I think is uh, increasingly common and probably plays into the, this question of our topic for the day is remote work. You know, you can uh, hear a lot of advice about maintaining work-life balance by having clear delineations between your work environment and your out-of-work environment. And it can be harder to do that if you're working out of your house or working from wherever you choose. Um, have, do you have much experience with, with remote work and how that plays into this question? Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience. I certainly, let me try to think. I don't think I've ever done it full time. Um, at my current job, I actually work home from home one day a week. So I do get sort of a, a taste of it. Um, but I think a lot of the issues that you just raised are not not as much of a problem if you're only working from home partly because you still have that opportunity to go into the actual office and interact with the people and stuff. So some of those potential issues of feeling like you're never not at work because your home is your work <laughs> um, are not as much of an issue because it's it's just kind of like one day a week I come home, I don't go to work and I just stay home and I go into my office and I, I work on my computer from my house, but I still generally have a job to go to that is not my house. Um, whereas you work, from what I understand, you work mostly from home. Occasionally- Probably 95%, yeah. You go in, but, but the vast majority of the time you're working from home. How do you, how have you dealt with that? That's, is that a, is that- a new experience for you in this in this position or have you previously had that as well i have had that experience um mainly i would say probably uh, the iron yard was the longest job i had that was an in-person sort of you have to 
get out of your building and, and go somewhere else kind of role. Get in some sort of conveyance of, and have it take you somewhere else. Right, right. And I have, uh, to tell you the truth, I have always ignored a lot of the rules that people suggest for maintaining work-life balance when you work from home. I don't have a dedicated home office. I mean, there's space for it, but I just don't go in there. I will sit in the same places whether I'm doing professional work or my own stuff or don't have a computer open. And it's hard to say for sure because that's the only way I've ever done it, but I I don't think I've suffered from that. And I think the saving grace, as I um, turn this question over my head a bit more, is that uh, this job has provided me with a work computer and all of the professional work has to be done on that machine. And there are a lot of things, frankly, I don't like about it because it's not the operating system that I'm used to and I can't install all the stuff I want and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I have that as my work environment. And I think I don't really uh, take the room that I'm in to be what environment I'm in, it's what computer happens to be open. And I am very um, diligent, I guess, about opening that at the beginning of the workday and then closing the lid when the workday is over. And I think that does a lot for me. And it doesn't matter too much whether I happen to be in the dining room um, doing something else. In fact, the chair that I'm sitting in right now is one where I do a lot of my work in the mornings and I don't have any like work-related stress or flashbacks or, or anything like that because the work computer is closed and it's out of sight and so it's out of mind. So you're still demarking a difference between work and home. You're just yes. not doing it in maybe the way that other it's people might. A, it's not a, a whole geographical room. Geographical. Right. Yeah, it's not geographical. It's it's maybe spatial. I don't know what would you yeah. call that. Like it's it's which uh, which context are you in? Right? Are you in yes. a work context because you have your work computer open, or are you in a home context, whether that be on your home computer or literally doing something unrelated to computing? Right? You were like washing the dishes, or you're doing something totally different, eating right. dinner at the dinner table that you were just doing work at. Right. But it's not work anymore. Now I'm eating dinner. Right. That's a, it's a you've you've created that mental separation. You've just done it in a way that's maybe different from other people. How other people yeah. might do it. Yeah, I'd never really thought about that before, but in the same way that you can feel very differently if you're on one website or one web application versus you are on another site or, or even have a different program open, you're still physically in the same place and you still have the same device that you're interacting with, but you can um, experience very different feelings depending on what you're doing. And I think having the the whole computer change is enough to change my entire mindset about what I'm doing and, and how I'm using my time. Yeah. So maybe if we were to give people some advice about how to have work-life balance, whether it's a matter of uh, you do work from home and you want to create, you know, the balance is even more important there because there's you're not going anywhere else. You're, you have to work that out yourself. Right. And there's greater potential probably to have the spillover. Right. So if we were to give some advice about, let's say maybe uh, that could be applied kind of ubiquitously, I think really kind of if we were to if we were to boil down all the points made today they mostly seem to kind of revolve around mindset and perspective and not the perspective or mindset of your employer but of you right as the worker what how are you perceiving your relationship with your company and with the daily work that you're doing and stuff like that and i think if you perceive it in a way where you can 
um, you can create clear boundaries around what is yes. acceptable and what yes. is not acceptable for you. And I think the most important kind of boundaries probably are time-related boundaries. Yeah. You, you have to say, during these periods, I will work on work. And outside of that, even if I'm doing things that to someone else look very similar, or if I'm in the same kind of places, so long as the the time is separate and my time is my own, then I think you're probably going to do all right. So perspective and autonomy, I think really are kind of maybe the two takeaways, right? So, so how do you perceive your relationship with your company, whether that be because you're going into the office or maybe you're doing it from home, really doesn't matter. And then also, um, how, how are you, do you have basically autonomy to choose those parameters, right? Like I was just saying, it's important to create boundaries and create parameters around which you find things acceptable. Um, and if, if you feel like your company's not letting you do that, either because they're calling you on Saturday and telling you got to come in tomorrow, or they're just really inflexible about allowing you to create what most people probably would consider pretty reasonable boundaries and expectations, then I think that is also a kind of to call back from, from before. That's another sign that that your work-life balance is in danger because they're not going to allow you to set the balance. I mean, clearly a company can't just let anyone do anything because like, I want to work three hours and get paid for 40 like that. Right. <laughs> I know that obviously you can't be unreasonable, but let's just assume that you're, that you're for purposes of argument, let's just assume that your expectations are reasonable as long as they're reasonable. And if those are not being met, then I think now you're in danger of being in a situation where that is unbalanced. Um, and, and you need to either, work to reset the balance with the company that you're with or you know like we've said in previous time you know uh episodes maybe it's time to to move on and find a new um a new role you know this is a much larger question than we have time for in the podcast but i think it's something that society is eventually going to have to explore whether 40 hours makes any kind of sense for knowledge work the uh, the 40 hour work week is really an older concept than software development is and I can't think of any reason why the period of time that ends up being appropriate for men working on an assembly line would necessarily have to be the same hour number that makes sense for people doing what we do for a living. Maybe maybe really you could get three really high quality hours a week and then you might as well let people do what they want for the rest of their time. You know, something that we heard from our students all the time and we've experienced ourselves is that the the brain is a mysterious sort of beast and the mere fact that you're not consciously working on a problem doesn't mean that at some level your mind isn't working on a problem and i think that can help people who struggle maybe with feelings of guilt around work-life balance that they feel like they need to stay chained to the desk until they have solved something because they're pouring all of their concentration and their mental energy into solving something, um, you're going to find in the long run that you're much better off uh, closing the work computer, leaving the work environment, whether it's a building or a room or whatever it is, and letting your conscious mind, which is all that you're sort of aware of, do other things, whether it's working on your own projects or cooking dinner, watching Netflix, walking through the park, because some part of your brain is still going to be occupied on solving the work problem. 
And what was our most common advice to a student who walked up to us after we could tell they had spent probably at least an hour or two banging their head against the computer trying yeah, to solve a problem? Around the block. It was, yeah, block. take a walk, right? It was like, go turn your computer off, leave the building, mm-hmm. go get some ice cream or take yep. a walk or something and, and, and do what you can to actively not think about this problem right. because right. you're hitting a mental wall and you're not going to be able to, to get there. Um, so like, yeah, you, you don't don't feel bad because you know my I'm not at a specific building and my butt is in this specific seat and I'm not in, this, mm-hmm. in front of a specific computer and so therefore I'm not working. Yes, it's true that you can be not working. We're not saying that you're you, not you're not typing. You're not typing. But that doesn't mean that you're not solving problems with the part right. of your brain that actually does that. Right, and with mental work, work that is essentially you know pretty much completely mental in nature. Um, you have to give your brain a, just it's just like if you were to go into the gym and bench press, right? You can't sit there and just pump iron for forty straight minutes with no with zero break and expect your muscles to not be really angry at you for doing that <laughs> and being and, and being able to continue to do that work. You're, you're going to have eventually diminishing returns where you where you won't be able to lift as much or for as many reps or whatever. You have to let your muscles rest, and that is exactly true with mental work as well you have to let it rest and that's kind of the whole point of what we're why we're talking about this topic to begin with is that you you know i think you as a person for your own career and for the really the companies are now probably never going to admit this but what companies should do is they should encourage active rest that is that is completely separate from work because you will get better employees you will get better quality work out of people if you let them actually rest so Make sure that you're doing that for yourself and make sure um, that you're doing what you can to to impress that that need upon your um, your company if they are not doing it themselves. Yeah. And this again, there's sort of the the trope of software companies having the ping pong table in the lounge or you know, foosball, the sport of kings. But that's not just window dressing smart companies realize that people need that sort of downtime and time away from conscious concentration because that's when big discoveries happen i mean if you ever watched the show house when did he ever when did he discover the secret issue that helped him solve the problem and diagnose the patient he was almost always 47 yeah, well, yes, it was always at the <laughs> right before the final act, but it, but, right. but, but the other thing that was about it that that was common about it was he was basically never at work, right? He was always like on his motorcycle, or he was at a pool hall, or he was he was doing something completely different, and then suddenly he you know he he, he stares off into the distance and goes, "I've got mm-hmm. it," and then he runs away, right? Right. Um, and and that's it's a cliche, but it's also true. I mean, you, you can you can really get a lot of value out of out of. Uh, being more productive at your job by literally not doing your job. Right. And then, by the way, that's the only part of your career you should base on that mean-spirited, drug-abusing character. <laughs> well, this has been a very interesting topic. Um, so we, like I said last time, um, we are publishing every two weeks. So we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. MVC, TLDL, work-life balance, perspective autonomy. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. See you next time. (laughs) That's perfect.